Okay, now it's it's true, isn't it, that uh, sometimes songs or tunes uh, can get stuck in our heads, can't they? You, know, you can get a song or a, a tune that just gets sort of lodged in there and it kind of refuses to budge. Now, I reckon this can be either a sort of bad thing or a good thing. It can be a bad thing, can't it? If a tune, that, if, if the tune that gets lost in there and refuses to budge, if it's some sort of, you know, vacuous, eh, flimsy, insubstantial pop song, then that's, that's a bad thing. But I think it can be a good, good thing if the tune that keeps going round and round and round in our heads is a, you know, is a tune that has a sort of solid, reasonable theme, a tune with a, a decent, a good message, okay? Well, that's what happened to me this week. I, I presume largely because of Acts chapter 8. I've had a tune lodged in my brain uh, for the last seven days, and it's the Beatles tune, uh, You Can't Buy Me Love. You know, that's just been going, that's just been plaguing me day after day after day. Well, what I hope we find as we study these verses uh, together today is actually uh, the truth of the sentiment of that song, the, the truth of that sentiment in relation to God. That quite simply, money certainly cannot buy us the love of God. And the intention, as is the norm, is to look at three sort of themes that kind of emerge or rise out of the text here. So, if you haven't already done so, help your Bible. Turn to Acts 8, and we'll consider uh, the first of these themes, and that is the, the end of hostility. The end of hostility. Right. Let's go. Let's remind ourselves, okay, of what, what we've been looking at. What was the last thing that we saw? Do you remember? Well, we'd seen that sort of do you remember there was that sort of massive wave tsunami of sort of persecution that suddenly hit the church in Jerusalem after Stephen's death? And there was all this sort of persecution that had led to the whole congregation of Jerusalem, all the Christians except the apostles, having to boost, you know, having to just get out of Jerusalem and they were fleeing to the surrounding areas. So there was that persecution. But then there was kind of this mention of evangelism as well, wasn't there? And all that sort of particular focus on the guy. Do you remember who was mentioned? It was this, this man, Philip, who had spoken the word. And he'd seen a lot of sort of fruit from this. Because there was all these massive amounts of conversions in this unnamed city of Samaria. So you remember that persecution, evangelism, then kind of all this fruit from that. Well, here's the thing. This morning, we're still in that unnamed city in Samaria, okay? So that's what we've got to be thinking. We're still in this unnamed city of Samaria. And although I know for the most part what we've read together is concerned with one bloke, isn't it? I mean, for the most part, it's kind of, you know, we're focused on this guy, Simon. But before we think about him, and we will, I assure you, of course we will, we're going to think about Simon. But before we do that, what I want us to do is actually think about that group of new converts, okay? Think about this group of people 
They've just come to Christ. You know, they've just, they're in this unnamed city. They've just heard the gospel from Philip. And they've just been saved. And want us to think about them. Why? Because we are told something weird about them. I mean, we are told something really quite bizarre here. Did you see it in verse 16? Look at it if your Bibles are open. Verse 16. Look what we're told. We are told that despite the fact that these people were Christians, despite the fact that they, yeah, they've heard the gospel, they responded to the gospel... Look what it says. The Holy Spirit had not come upon any of them. Now get that right. This is important. The Holy Spirit had not come upon any of these people. Now, do you see how, how weird that is? Yeah? I mean, do you see how strange it is? The Holy Spirit. I mean, what do we know? Well, we've looked at Acts already. We know that, you know, the Holy Spirit indwells in a person's heart when? point of their conversion right we know that you, you trust in jesus christ what happens holy spirit fills your fills your heart you know we, we we know we know this but look at this i mean they they believe and what you know it's just like sort of tumbleweed moment you know they they trust in jesus christ and there is nothing here here's the thing we have to work out why we have to we have to work out why the holy spirit has not filled these believers because let me tell you this, this here isn't just a sort of, you know, a technicality. This isn't just a sort of, okay, the minister has got a sort of nice language technicality that's enthralled him, but it's not relevant to, to anyone else. That's not what this is. This is the major point of the chapter, right? So we are supposed to, if we're Christians, we're supposed to read Acts chapter 8 and just go, whoa, wait a minute. What's going on here? Why has the Holy Spirit, we're supposed to wrestle with this, why has the Holy Spirit not filled these people here? Okay, so to work out why this has happened like this, why there's this delay in the Spirit, we're going to work it out. What we need to do is bear in mind two things that we're told in these verses, okay? So follow me with this. We are supposed to see two important details. You ready for them? first one we need to bear in mind who it was that was present when the holy spirit eventually did fill those believers so do you see who it was who's present in verse 17 look down at your bibles verse 17 who's present when the holy spirit eventually comes it says only when peter and john placed their hands on the believers that they received the Holy Spirit. So do you see it? It's only when the apostles arrive and the apostles put their hands, only when the apostles arrive from Jerusalem to Samaria and do this, it's only then that the Holy Spirit comes. Now, does that mean that the Holy Spirit only comes in Acts if it's apostles that lay hands on people? Is that what it means? No. We'll see in Acts chapter 9, that's not the case. But here, certainly, it is absolutely essential that the apostles were present in the room, that they were present in the vicinity. Why? That brings us to the second thing that we've got to bear in mind here, okay? And that is who it was that was converted. So who is it that's converted? Samaritans, right? It's a, Samaritan, a group of Samaritan people that are converted. So 
Why is that important? Why is it important that Samaritans? Okay. What I want you to do is to think about the relationship between Scottish people and English people, just for a moment. I know I'm on dodgy ground as soon as I step into that, but follow me here, right? Let's think about how Scottish people are thought of or viewed by English people. And maybe, okay, and vice versa too, right? So, English people, you can correct me, any English people here, you can correct me uh, at the end if I'm wrong. But English people view Scottish people not quite as foreigners, right? You know, they're different, but they're not foreigners. I mean, Scottish people to an English person, they're not like an Italian or a German or an Algerian or something like that. They're not quite foreigners, but yeah, they definitely, a Scots person, definitely different to an English person, okay? Well, that's what we've got here with the Samaritans, okay? Because the Samaritans were viewed by the Jews not quite as foreigners, okay? So, so the Jews in Jerusalem didn't view the Samaritans really as being sort of Gentiles or, or Greeks as foreigners, but they did view these Samaritans as being kind of different, you know? As being a bit, they viewed them, and this is important, they viewed them as being within, but on the fringes of Judaism. Okay, that's the Samaritans. And you know how it rolls. You know how we sort of laugh about the fact that there's sort of friction and tension between Scots and English people? You know, we laugh at that and say, ha, 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 ha. Well, that was the reality here. Okay? I mean, the Samaritans and these Jerusalem Jews, there was, you know, there was real tension, you know? It wasn't a sort of laughing matter. I think I've said before that the Samaritans were the, like the traditional enemy of the Jerusalem Jews. They, you know, they, there was real hostility and real enmity between these groups here. So the two things, we've got the necessary presence of the apostles, and we've got the fact that it's the Samaritans that were saved. Okay, if we put those two things together, do you see why the Holy Spirit hadn't come? Do you see why it was that God delayed the Holy Spirit here? If not, let me tell you. God delayed the outpouring of the Holy Spirit until the apostles had arrived in Samaria. Why? To confirm to these apostles that these formerly hostile people, the Samaritans, that they were now through Christ to be viewed differently that these formerly hostile people, that they were now through Christ to be treated as a fool and a real part of the community of faith. You know, things were different. I'll put it another way. I'll put it another way. The Holy Spirit delayed, the Holy Spirit was delayed to underline to the apostles that the gospel had indeed gone out of Jerusalem and that now even enemies, you know, even enemies had to be told the good news of salvation, that even enemies were to be viewed and treated so differently in Jesus Christ. That is why the Holy Spirit is delayed here by God. Fine, you see. But we've, we've, got, we've got to apply this, or at least seek to apply it, don't we? I mean, we've got to think just now about 
what this delay to the Holy Spirit means for us. And I'll tell you this, as soon as we do that, one of the things that jumps out here is surely um, the equality and the oneness of all believers in Jesus Christ. Isn't it? The equality, the oneness of all believers. I mean, this delay of the Holy Spirit, it happened so that the apostles would take note, something out of the ordinary is happening. This delay happened so that we would see, hang on, there is neither Jew nor Samaritan. There is neither Jew nor Greek, you know, male or female, slave or free, that we are all one. We are all one in Jesus Christ. So there's this equality. But then I think sort of more than that, and friends, I would urge you to hear this. What I think we're also supposed to see here with this delay in the Holy Spirit is the necessary end to any form of bitterness and hostility that exists within the church. That's what we're supposed to see. The need to end all bitterness. I mean, the apostles are shown that this Samaritan faith was genuine. And they were shown that so that they would embrace the Samaritans, that there wouldn't be any hostility. We're supposed to read this. We're supposed to read Acts. And we're supposed to see, ah, yes, we've got to put away any, any form of ill feeling that we've got in the Christian community. And I want to say that it is as real as it gets, this stuff. Isn't it? I mean, there is all forms of hostility within the Christian community. I mean, we can, we, can be, we can be hostile toward other denominations that preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can be hostile to believers from other racial groups. We can do that. It can be a wee bit more personal too, can't it? We can show hostility to people in here. You know, other believers. People, we can be hostile to people who just rub us up the wrong way. Hostile to people that, that just simply don't agree with us. There can't be all forms of hostility. But what does God do in Acts 8? He does the most incredibly unique, unusual thing. He delays the power of the Holy Spirit here. Why? So that we all just go, wow, of course. There's got to be harmony. There's got to be unity, oneness in Jesus Christ. So let's face it, Christ has broken down the barrier of hostility that exists between his people and God. He has done that for us. So surely we can at least put away any form of bitterness, any form of hostility or enmity that we have for each other. Come on. We're one in Jesus Christ. I mean, it's, it's glorious and it is precious. There must be an end to hostility. Next, let's think about the misunderstanding of the Holy Spirit. The misunderstanding of the Holy Spirit. Okay. Up until now, we're sort of looking at this and we're focused on this group. Remember what I said? We're focusing on a group of believers that have been saved. But I also said earlier on that really... Scripture takes us to one guy, doesn't it? It kind of takes us to this 
one bloke, this guy, Simon. And uh, I want us to think about Simon, but as I do, and as we look at it, I want you to think about Simon as a kind of, like, I don't know, sinister, Yuri Geller-type guy, okay? Or maybe a more sinister uh, Yuri Geller-type guy. You know, think of him as a sort of dark type of a pen or teller type character because what we told in verse 9 we are told here's the, here's a guy he's a sorcerer you know he's a dark type magician bloke and although simon has kind of gathered up a large following as a magician what's quite interesting i think is that he's not totally dismayed when this following turn away from him and start following philip the gospel he's not i mean he doesn't lose to start with anyway he doesn't seem to be too concerned by that because it says actually in verse 13 he himself believed you struggle with that in that context he himself believed well whether that's genuine or not we'll come back to okay whether he believed but instead what i want us to focus on is how this guy simon this magician bloke how he responded when he saw the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Okay? I mean, he's there, and he sees Peter and John come, and there's the imparting of the Holy Spirit. How does this guy respond to it? Because it's fascinating. Two things to notice, okay? First of all, look at the guy's desire, Simon's desire in verses 18 or 19. And I'm going to read it to you, but just follow along with me. Look what, he, look what he says. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, what does he say? Give me also this ability. Follow me here. Give me also this ability. So, do you see what it isn't? I mean, he sees the outpouring in the Holy Spirit. Imagine, you know, the apostles come, there's laying on the hands, outpouring the Holy Spirit. What does he not want? He doesn't want, he doesn't want the Holy Spirit. It's not like, I want, I want this great spiritual experience that other, that's not what he's saying. He wants the ability to give out the Holy Spirit. You see? I mean, it's not, oh, please, can, can I receive the Holy Spirit too? No, it's, please, can I be one of you guys? I want to be one of you guys that's able to lay hands on people. That's fantastic. Now, why does he, why is he so keen for this? Well, I think if Simon was around today, we would be able to work out what sort of Facebook page this guy's got. Because Simon's a sort of, well, he's a magician, so he's going to have a pretty weird Facebook page, isn't he? Because magicians, you know, kind of weird guys, aren't they? But Simon's the sort of guy who's uploading selfies all day long to his Facebook page, isn't he? I mean, Simon's this guy who is just absolutely obsessed with how he looks and with his image. Look at verse 9. It says that he boasts. Who does he boast in? He's boasting about himself. Okay? Verse 10, it's all about the people's attention. So do you see what's going on here? We've got this guy, and he is keen to administer the Holy Spirit. Nope! Because he could care less about anyone's spiritual well-being or their, their spiritual walk. He doesn't care about that. He wants this power. Because he's concerned about how people look at him. 
He's concerned about his own name and his own popularity. That is his desire. But then, and this will have caught your eye when we read this, look at his proposal, his desire, but look at his proposal. Again, it's verse 18. Look what he suggests, because it's unbelievable. He offers the apostles some readies. You know, he gets his cash out and he offers them money, money in exchange for the power of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that quite something? Isn't it? Money in exchange for the Holy Spirit. So he's, he's maybe looking at this and sort of thinking that the Holy Spirit, this is just a trick, a magic trick that, you know, the secret's available for just a few coins. Okay, that's how he's... Do you not read that and just think, wow, what a loon. No, I mean, do you not read that and think, Simon, you are getting God so raw that you think that you can buy God's favor. You think you can buy God's power. That's madness. Is that what you think? Because please hear this. See what he's doing there. That's what, that's what everyone's doing. This is what so many people, like religious people, really good, upright, moral people are doing in this country, right up and down this country just now. Now the currency's different, isn't it? It might be good works and it might be sort of good behavior it might not be denarii as it is here but multitudes do you see it millions of people they are trying to buy god's power and god's favor and i hope that you this morning see that that's just wrong i hope you see that you can't no matter how well you're living you cannot buy God's favor. I hope you see that you you are saved by what is called grace. You're not saved by your good behavior. You're not saved by all that effort and your earnestness. No. You are saved by Christ. You are saved by what he has done in dying on that cross. But then maybe we're making a mistake here. Because maybe we're, ah, maybe we're wrong to think that this Simon's mistake is just a mistake that other people make, that people who are not Christians, they make them this mistake. Maybe we need to recognize our own error as Christians in what Simon's doing here. And with that in mind, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask you two questions, okay? Now, I urge you, not to dismiss these questions, regardless of how stupid you think these questions sound. This is what I want you to do. These two questions, I want you to think about these questions. And I want you to pray about these questions, not just today, but I want you to take these two questions. I ask you, if you're Christians here, you take these questions into this week and you pray about these questions. First one, Which concerns you more? 
your own reputation or your spiritual health? I mean, really, which concerns you more? Which, on a sort of daily basis, do you give more thought to, more attention to? Is it the way that other people around you view you? Or is it your walk with Jesus Christ? So first question, think about it. Second question, how do you think that God's favor is truly won? Now, I know what you, you may be thinking. You may be thinking, I'm a Christian. I get it, man. I know we're saved for grace and we're not saved by works. And I know that. I know. But really, though, in the way that you're living, in your actions in the church, in your actions in home, how is it coming? Are you just thinking that it's just about, is it just about routine? Is it just dry observance of stuff? Are you thinking, right, I know, I'm going to play the piano, I'm going to go on the piano rota, and that will keep God sweet. You're thinking, I'll do the tease, and I'll make, yeah, okay, I'll do, I'll do the stewarding, and yeah, that kind of gets God out of the way, that's, that's God, please. You're thinking like that. Or are you really seeing that what it's about, what God wants, is us, you know? What God wants is loving obedience from his people. I mean, he wants us. He wants our heart. He wants heartfelt devotion and love of Jesus Christ. You see, Simon's error isn't weird and wacky. You know, trying to buy stuff here. It's not as weird as it seems. This is a mistake that we all make because of our sinful nature. But we have to get this right. We cannot purchase the power nor the favor of God. We can't do it. Okay. The end of hostility. Unity. The misunderstanding of the Holy Spirit. Third, last just a word on the suggestion of hope. Now, this is where the confession starts, okay? Because uh, I don't even know if I should say this. I hope my mum's not listening to me. But um, I remember vividly the biggest row that I ever got. Uh, the big, grandest, loudest row that I ever got. I was about... 10 years old, 10 or 11 years old. And I had just, you know, gone out on my bike with my friends for a while. And we'd got distracted because one of my friends had a bag with big marker pens and paints in the bag. And so what we thought we would do is we would graffiti uh, the, the street, the walls, the path, all the way up to the local school. And we spent hours and hours doing this until we were caught. And the row <laughs> that I got from my parents when I got home, it sort of outlasted the amount of time <laughs> that we'd actually spent defeating. You know, what trouble, what a rebuke I got. But you see, there is an intensity here. There is, in this last part of this section that we've got here, we have this most intense, Tense and significant row. And I want you to look at it and consider it with me. Because in response to what Simon's done, remember Simon's trying to buy the Holy Spirit. In response to that, 
what we've got is the Apostle Peter, and the Apostle Peter confronts him, and he just goes to town on Simon. Look at the severity of it. Look, verse 20, Peter obviously confirms, okay, Simon, you can't buy God's favor, okay? But then he launches into a sort of Old Testament-style uh, just wrath here. It's like a curse. Do you see it? May your money perish with you, man. And I think crucially what we see, remember what I said earlier on, there's a question mark over verse 13 where Simon is said to have believed. I think what we see there is that his profession of faith was unsound. This is a man who was not truly saved. Now, there's numerous ways we could see that. I'll just say one. Look what Peter says to him in this rebuke in verse 23. Look what he says. He says, he says that Simon is still captive to sin. Okay, so Peter's going to town. This is a stern a rebuke as you're going to get, okay? But this is, this is how we'll close. It's a stern rebuke. But I also want you to see the hope of the rebuke. Now, you have to look pretty hard in the text to see any hope in what Peter says. But have a look here. There is a ray of light in verse 22. Because Peter says to him, Simon, repent of this wickedness and pray. And if you do that, perhaps God will forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. So here we go. This is how we end. This is how we come into land. Please listen to this. Perhaps it's the case, and I, I, some of, part of me hopes it is, perhaps it's the case that the experience of Simon in Acts chapter 8 kind of feels a bit familiar to you this morning. You know, perhaps you see something of yourself in the sky. You know, it might be that this morning you are perhaps convicted that, yes, I am too concerned about myself and how I look rather than Christ. Perhaps, more than that, perhaps you're convicted that you are getting God wrong, that God cannot be bought, that he can only be found in Jesus Christ. Now, if that's you, if you see yourself in Simon then please see that what's true of Simon is also true for you and that there is hope. I mean, no matter who you are or what it is you've done or no matter how long you've been doing what it is that you've been doing wrong, no matter your situation, there is hope. There is hope in the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you do what Peter says to Simon, he says to him, pray. That's it. Repent. Pray. And if you do that, there's hope. You pray, friend. And you speak openly and honestly to God. You tell him where you're at and you ask him for forgiveness. There's hope. There's light and all that, you know, that hostility that you know in your heart exists between you and God. You pray, you repent. 
That is replaced. It's gone. And it is replaced with a tranquility and this beautiful peace that only comes in Jesus Christ. Now, I hope we all see in Acts 8 the beautiful simplicity of the gospel message. Folks, we do not have to worry about trying to earn or trying to buy God's favor with God. Money can't buy you love. Nothing can buy you love. Why not? Because Jesus Christ has already bought that love for you. And what was the currency that was used? The currency was his life. And all we need to do is believe on him. Let's pray.